This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Brutal here in Toronto, and you can follow me at Statsman22, and my co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. AJ, there was some good news from uh, a surprisingly brief negotiation between the owners and the Players Association. We have peace in the Valley. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of all the things that had to be worked out with, uh, you know, return to play and, and everything, getting uh, four years of of extra time on the, the current collective bargaining agreement is not something that I would have uh, expected at any point. So that's really um, a great kind of great thing for, for everybody to have. Uh, you know, it is still pending overall approval. All the players are going to vote on everything but you know we've got a return to play plan and a uh, collective bargaining agreement for another four years so hard to hard to be sad about that that's for sure indeed and you know the salary cap uh, is tied to league revenues we know that and what a what a quick negotiation between the owners and the players association i say relatively quickly anyway because we've both lived through some extended uh, battle lines between these two groups but it seems like Maybe Gary Bettman has a new friend. Maybe that's what it is in, in terms of the labor <laughs> negotiations there. So good for them for getting that done. And uh, the other news that didn't get a lot of play, AJ, is that the uh, possibility that the salary cap may not be frozen after all uh, because it's going to be tied to the league revenues. And they've set the bar at a fairly low uh, threshold when you talk about 48 billion dollars uh being the target to to at least measure up to and if they go higher than that maybe they'll be able to to uh flex their muscles and and raise that salary cap a couple of million dollars because uh, in the absence of that keeping a flat rate for the next two years there's going to be uh 
a lot of players that are going to be missing out on the big payday that they were hoping for and some many teams are going to be dealing with the fact that they have an, an untenable situation with their salary cap circumstances uh, as we've seen in the exercise that you and Kyle have taken us through in the last several weeks we're almost winding that up too we got four teams to look at today but I wonder what you think AJ is there a chance that that uh, are you hearing whispers that they may do something about the salary cap if it rises to a certain level or will there be a forgiveness option where a team is able to write something off there hasn't been something official yet but I can foresee something like that. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the the biggest thing is we know with certainty that next year is not going up. I mean, that's at least very clear. So next season, um, it won't be there. But to have at least the potential to go up, you know, the original stated, uh, you know, salary cap was that it would be flat for two seasons here. Um, But this latest, you know, memorandum of understanding seems to indicate there's some wiggle room to potentially go up next year or rather the year after. And so I think that's at least um, a good thing there. You know, as far as uh, the the free contract thing, you know, I've actually seen recently that that's something that the players um, are not interested in having, you know, so which is understandable. You would hate to, you know, be that guy. Yes, you still get your money, but suddenly uh, you're out of a job. So it's not totally surprising that the players aren't on board with that idea. Um, and I've also, you know, I read something that, you know, owners not, aren't necessarily on board with that either because that means they're paying the guy that they bought out and then the guy that they potentially signed to, you know, replace the bought out player. So it's not saving. It's actually potentially costing owners uh, more money uh, in terms of, of actual, re- you know, dollars and cents. I think the only ones that really benefit from that are the general managers uh, who have a little bit more flexibility on the market. So. It'll be interesting to see if that continues to, to be a situation. But I think based on, on what I've read lately, I, I think that free buyout option has kind of been taken off the table. Look, the other thing that I think is really important with all this and maybe the thing that's least covered, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, salary caps, uh, you know, labor piece. We've got official start dates of July 13th for training camps, July 26th for travel to the hub cities. And then perhaps the biggest date august 1st the start of the qualifying round uh which is all great but we also have included in this that they will be able to play olympic hockey for the next two years and i think that's another huge one now assuming we have olympics obviously we missed out on the summer olympics this year and they're gonna have to do some shuffling around with that but if we have a winter olympics sounds like the nhl players will be back which is a big one in my book i'm a huge olympic guy i take it all in as much of it as i can watch every you know two years i summer winter so that was really exciting too paul you know what you just gave me goosebumps <laughs> i can't i can't stand the fact that there's so much good news in the hockey world out there almost unprecedented in our five-year run that we've had so much good news in the offing but let's hope we can get through this this playoff run safely uh, above all uh, hockey's doing a great job in terms of all the things that they're laying out in preparation for this this process but i think doing a much better job than any other league to be honest with you aj so i think they're they're doing all the right moves and i hope it continues and i'm looking forward to to actually seeing some games it's going to be fantastic three four or five games in in a row on uh, every day there's gonna be a lot of hockey widows out there uh, <laughs> i think in the next <laughs> little while but uh, before we go on i know you want to send a reminder to all our listeners yeah absolutely you know as always if you have questions throughout the week 
um, about, you know, if you're gearing up for your pools and you can't decide between a couple players in, in one group, shoot us a question. We'll, we'll give you some insight there. Um, if you have questions just about your team, about their cap situation, uh, as I've said in the past, if you have baseball questions, reach out to Paul. If you have soccer questions, I'm happy to chime in on that as well. As Paul mentioned off the top, you can follow me at AJ Scholes24. And you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. All right, AJ, we're two weeks away from finishing up this series of salary cap uh, reviews on our show. you got one more week in terms of the articles, and they've been really full of great information. Today, you're taking an aggressive stance and trying to do four teams. Uh, you did four teams this week, and we're going to try and cover those same four from the Pacific Division. You're winding that up. We're going to look at L.A., San Jose, Vancouver, and Vegas, and uh, I'm anxious to get started to see what you and Kyle have cooked up, and I'm looking forward to my rebuttals, which I'm hopeful you'll find some some entertainment in them at least, if, <laughs> if not anything to give you pause on some of the stuff you guys wrote up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been a heavy week. We'll, we'll finish up, as you said, Paul, this week in terms of articles with Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. So it'll be great to be uh, have everything kind of wrapped up. And like I've said uh, over the last couple of weeks, anytime there's going to be a free agent signing, you know, it sounds like free agency will start about in October based on when the Stanley Cup would potentially be awarded. Um, I'm going to be referring back to these to see what I got right, what I got wrong. Um, so that'll be really interesting to watch. So we'll start uh, with the L.A. Kings, who have 10 forwards, four defensemen, and two goaltenders under contract next season, uh, coming in at just a hair under $50 million. But they do have uh, uh, Dion Phaneuf's buyout, the contract that never seems to really go away, um, and the termination of contracts for Mike Richards and Ilya Kovalchuk, all those three combining for a total of $11 million in cap space, which is uh, pretty extensive when you think about it, um, the the termination for Kovalchuk, at least for them, come off uh, after the 2021 season, but they'll still be on the hook for Mike Richards for several more years, and they've got two more years of Dion Phaneuf. So, uh, as I said, that contract just will not go away. <laughs> um, so, assuming a flag cap of $81.5 million, it leaves the club with uh, about $20.7 million in, in cap space and seven spots to fill. Starting, as we do always, with the restricted free agents, you're looking at Nikolai Prohorkin, Austin Wagner, and Sean Walker. So, look, Prohorkin put together a really solid rookie campaign, um, I thought, with four goals, 10 assists, 63 shots. Uh, so I think they're going to have to give him a little bit more than the qualifying offer. I know the numbers uh, aren't, you know, they're not super impressive in terms of fantasy, but uh, I, again, I think I've used this contract more than once, but the lease gave uh, Pierre Engvall a two-year, $2.5 million extension in February, uh, and I think that'll fit here as well, especially because it retains the RFA rights at the end, so it gives you kind of another kick at the can, as it were. For Wagner, um, you know, he uh, hit that sophomore slump, as, as a lot of players do, uh, failed to reach the 20-point mark, but I think he's still potentially going to get a little bit above Perhorkin in terms of, of what that contract will look like. And so, um, you know, if it's if it's 1.25 uh, for Perhorkin, then you're looking at maybe 1.5 for Austin Wagner. Again, probably on a two-year uh, two deal as well. Um, so the guy most likely to get a pay bump here is, is the blue liner, Sean Walker. 
he set career highs and goals with five assists with 19 and with games played in 70. So really, um, I think I would expect him to take on more minutes, bigger role on the power play heading next season. And so I looked for maybe a longer term deal for him and pegged him for about four years, $10 million. Uh, you know, it's, it's maybe a little hefty. It might seem as I said in the article, like an overpayment, maybe next year. But I think by the final year of that contract, I think you're going to look at that and be like, wow, this is a really value contract um, in terms of where I expect him to continue to go. So, Paul, that would be my biggest question to you. Do you think it's worth maybe overpaying a player like Sean Walker in the first year, year or two of a contract so that it becomes a value contract on the back end? And do you think Walker is a candidate uh, for that kind of growth? I really do, AJ. The opportunity is there because they've got some flexibility. Well, they've got some jobs that need to be filled on the blue line, and he's a, one of the top candidates for a second-pairing role. And when you're com- talking about a second-pairing guy, if you can lock him up, uh, up before he really takes off, as they expect that he will, uh, I think there's an incentive there. And really, with the flexibility that they have under the cap relative to some other teams, I mean, they don't have a ton of money to spend, but they have much more per player a roster spot rather to fill than most other teams at this stage so if they can uh, swallow a bit of an uptick more than uh, just simply re-upping the guy with with the, the minimum raise I think they could lock them uh, lock themselves up with a really good player in their roster who fills a second string role on the defense and he is that coveted right shooting defensemen too which AJ we've talked about it before I've raised the issue that a lot of teams are really struggling to find people to fill that role and uh, they have one in L.A., and uh, like you said, it might behoove them to, to really look after the guy uh, as best they can, maybe keeping that average uh, annual valuation under $2 million a year uh, should do the trick over three, four seasons. And the, the guy's 25. By the time he's done, he, he'll be ready for a bigger payday at, at age 29, and what's wrong with that from the team's point of view? So uh, that's the defenseman part of the equation. Uh, I'm high on Nikolai Prokorkin, A.J. I know he didn't show as well offensively as you know you and I are talking about him really uh, still in a prospect phase of his of his career despite the fact he's heading into his age 27 season but uh, a lot of people are high on him he's a big rangy guy who's got a very good skating stride and uh, the skills are there so uh, all this guy needs is the opportunity and with uh, Jeff Carter's uh, career winding down. I mean, I'm not. He's not saying down. I know he's got a couple more years on his deal. I think Prokorkin could really challenge for a second line center position and certainly a top six role if he winds up on the wing. Even so, uh, uh, an, another important signing, despite the fact he's coming off that 925 thousand uh, hit. I think they got to try and lock him up for uh, a longer term. Uh, maybe a similar deal to Walker and, and something that approaches the $1.7 million a year AAV in my view. And uh, of course that leaves Austin Wagner and a little bit younger guy and a lot more runway probably in his career relative to the other two fellas. Another guy that should contend for possibly a top six role here but may not get the bump that the other two guys get initially. So I think maybe just in the low 1.2, 1.5 area for him is what I forecast. So not a lot of money really to spend on, on three RFAs who figure to be part of the scene in L.A. for the foreseeable future. But uh, again, they have some nice flexibility relative to other teams and should get it done with, with not much difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, we'll turn our attention to the unrestricted free agents. You're looking here at a group that includes Trevor Lewis, 
Tim Schaller, Ben Hutton, and Joachim Ryan. Look, they've got youngsters like Carl Gunstrom, Blake Lazat, uh, who I would expect to take on bigger roles. Plus, they've got guys like Arthur Kaliev and uh, University of Wisconsin product Alex Turcott coming in uh, to join the professional ranks. I just don't see a reason to bring Lewis or Schaller back to just take up a spot on the 23-man roster. I think they've got some forwards coming up through the system. I would be surprised if um, – I honestly would be surprised if both uh, Turcotte and, and Kaliev didn't make the team. I, I would expect both to be on the 23-man roster for opening night. I know that both guys are just 19 years of age, but they, these are top prospects um, who have, who can certainly, I think, are NHL-ready Um so I, I think there's just not a spot here for, for Lewis or Schaller um, amongst the Fords. Now, in terms of defense, this club's not quite as deep. And so I think you have to look at potentially retaining at least one of Ben Hutton or Joachim Ryan. But I certainly think it would make sense to get both. Um, I think modest raises here and, and even locking up for, for closer to three years would, would make some sense. Uh, my numbers came in at about $2 million for Hutton and $1.5 for Ryan. Again, this is a team that has a little bit of room to spare. Now, if they have some youngsters that they're higher on than, than I am coming up, then maybe you just sign these guys to one-year or two-year deals um, without the added term. But I, I'm just not as sold on some of the, the up-and-comers in this, this blue line group. So to me, it makes sense to bring at least one of these guys back, if not both. Paul, what say you uh, specifically about this blue line? Do you think uh, you keep Hutton and Ryan, or do you like some of these up-and-comers on, on the blue line better than I do? Well, again, I, I you look at the salaries that have been distributed last year for this defense group, AJ, and Drew Doughty made more than the rest of the guys by miles, just by himself. So they really haven't spent a lot of money. But when you look at a guy like Ben Hutton, that guy piques my curiosity because at age he's heading into his age 28 season and he's been a steady performer for for his career in the NHL and I think you can forecast that he's easily going to get a bump that approaches the two million dollar a year mark and uh, so uh, I think he's a key because I I view him as the second best defenseman in this class uh, of uh, Kings defenders and uh, uh, experienced guy steady guy good to keep him in the fold and if you can extend him for a few years at, a, at around that that hit that i'm suggesting i think that's really good value uh, in the bank for for the kings and joaquin ryan at seven hundred twenty-five thousand uh, dollars, i think he could get upwards of a million dollars in a new contract and probably should he's been in the mix here for a while and he too has proven himself to be you know fundamentally sound and and a guy that they can count on to be a part of things here with with that experience being the key separating factor for me i think defensemen sometimes take a little bit longer time to mature and i'm not saying this guy's going to turn into morgan riley by any means or drew doughty but a third solid third pairing defenseman yeah i think i think i can see that and uh, so maybe a shorter term deal just because they do have some younger options in the minors so let's see what if if joaquin ryan can make his case on a shorter term deal uh, uh, while the other youngsters in the system get uh, a few more reps uh, under their belt before they head up up to the major league club and then in terms of the forwards i think you nail it trevor lewis at two million dollars for what he returned to this team last year i mean he's years removed from his best 
uh, efforts in the NHL, and I don't think they should uh, they should uh, re up this guy at that snack bracket. He's got to take a pay cut if he wants to stick around, in my estimation, AJ. And then you know they buried Tim Schaller's contract last year for a reason. This guy's not quite NHL caliber, and again, they should find better options in the system. So I think maybe he's a guy that they let let walk since they did bury him last year. All right, so talking about those minor leaguers that we alluded to, there were three guys uh, that need new contracts that played in an NHL game last year. That was the aforementioned Carl Gunstrom, Matt Luff, and then Paul Ledoux. I think the, the, the first thing to talk about is if Hutton and Ryan are both re-signed, then there's just not a clear path to the 23-man roster, in my opinion, for Ledoux. At best, maybe he could figure out how to s- secure the seventh defenseman spot, um, so I, I would see the club offering him a two-way deal with maybe a modest pay raise. But uh, if he wants a one-way contract, I just don't think it'll be in L.A. And he may have to look elsewhere for that. Uh, in terms of, you know, Grunstrom and Luff, they had strong minor league campaigns this year with, with uh, AHL Ontario. And I think they're both candidates for a spot on the 23-man roster next season. Um, but neither one has really done enough to warrant much more than their qualifying offers unless the Kings want to give them some added term. But I don't really think it's necessary um, for either guy. I think a qualifying offer for each one uh, on a on a one year deal should uh, do enough to see if they can, in fact, uh, secure those those roster spots. So, Paul, uh, anything you like about about these three guys, maybe more than I do, that, that would have you giving them a little bit more money? You know what? I saw Grunstrom play a lot with the Toronto Marlies when he was in the Leafs system, AJ, and I think there's a lot of offensive skill there. And when he was up with the Kings, he did get some reps at a, as a top six forward. Uh, at times didn't really produce like they hoped for last year no goals and only four assists in 13 games played has to rate as a disappointment but you look at the prior year a little more impressive when you consider five goals and one helper in 15 games I think that's more like what they should be expecting from this guy when he gets in to the NHL on a regular basis so I think that they ought to be concerned and interested enough to give this guy a bump in salary that is close to about 1.2 to 1.4 million a year uh, on a shorter term deal. Grunstrom needs to prove himself, AJ. He's still only heading into his age 23 season. So uh, youngster has impressed me with what I've seen from him. And I think the Kings have something here and they should hold on to it in my estimation. Uh, In terms of Luff, uh, I think a lesser version of Grunstrom. And if he he agrees to something in the million dollar range on a short term deal, he's another guy that's shown some offensive flashes in his time in the minors. And if he gets a chance to do it, the NHL must take advantage of it to take the next step. But definitely two guys that I would take a hard, long look at in terms of retaining. So uh, that's that's the call that I'm making among the forwards in the RFA situation. Ledoux, in terms of his experience, AJ, he's been in the mix in the NHL as a defenseman for years, uh, heading into his age 28 season, a right-handed shot defenseman. I always mention that, and I always will, because as I keep saying, there's a shortage of quality types in that regard. And he's a guy in the past who has been a fairly decent scorer in the, in the, with the Ontario Reign. You mentioned he played in the AHL. 27 points in 48 games. That's a better rate of production than most of the other guys on this roster, whether they played in the minors or in the NHL. So that alone should get him a longer look and, and uh, be able to re, be re-upped for a modest increase in pay, I would suggest. 
Well, diving into to final thoughts on this group, I, I'm projecting the Kings to have about $10 million in cap space. And so that would make them potential players on the free agent market. But here's what I, I would do. If Again, we're, you know, we've been playing a little armchair GM here. So what I would do with that extra money is I would just let it sit, to be honest with you. Um, I think it's an opportunity to let players like Turcotte, Kaliev, uh, Lazat, Grunstrom get opportunities to be on the 23-man roster. And let's not forget, they probably need to be holding open a spot for Tim Stutzel after they got the number two pick in the draft lottery. He's going to need a spot on this roster as well. I don't foresee a situation of any kind in which a player of his caliber doesn't make the team uh, heading into next season. So, Paul, any final thoughts here on the L.A. Kings? Well, A.J., I think if they handle things right and manage their money, they're going to have some extra money uh, as they fill out their roster, maybe leave a spot or two open to check out the free agent market because, as I said, there's not too many teams that are going to have uh, wiggle room to test those waters. So you might get some players from the free agent market that are marginal increases on what you already have on your roster. And the Kings will be one team that, that looks in that direction. And look, at I know that they're not a contender for the Stanley Cup right now, but if you're going to bide some time to try and make your case in the NHL uh, or make some money in free agency, there's not, not too many better opportunities uh, with vacant roster spots or roster spots that are achievable for guys on the free agent market that want to really prove themselves and maybe set themselves up. I could see uh, somebody going there for a year or two and, and then uh, having a, a bit of a breakout or a resurgence to their careers. Think even of a, about a guy like Pat Maroon, a, AJ, on the free agent market. Uh, he, he failed last year to really take advantage of uh, the cup win and uh, went in the offseason and took a modest increase to go somewhere else and then didn't really work out. He might need to try that again. And, and uh, if you can do that while soaking up the California sun, that doesn't sound like a bad option to me. <laughs> absolutely all right so we'll move on to the the san jose sharks and they've got nine forwards five defensemen one goaltender under contract next season coming in at 66.6 million uh, with again our, our flat cap uh that we're expecting 81 and a half leaves the club with about a little over 14.8 million and eight spots to fill uh on their 23-man roster the restricted free agent group looks like this. Uh, it's uh, Kevin LeBanc, Joel Kelman, Antti Sumella, and uh, Jacob Middleton. You know, in the case of uh, Kel- Kelman, Sumella, and Middleton, these guys combined for 61 games this season and I think can stake claims for spots on the 23-man roster heading into next year. Um, but I w- none of these guys should really be hoping for anything more than their qualifying offer considering in those 61 games that they combined to play, they only collectively registered 16 points. Um, So I don't expect them to get much more than, than qualifying offers here in terms of LeBanc. I I don't know how you don't call this a disappointing season for him. He failed to reach the 40 point mark for the first time since his rookie year. I do think he's still capable of being a 50 point producer and could even push for the 20 goal mark uh, on a yearly basis. The contract that I found was a a good comparable for him was uh, the Islanders' Josh Bailey signed a six-year, $30 million deal. Now, he was coming off a 70-point campaign, so that's obviously, I think, the high end of what uh, LeBanc could maybe uh, try and get here. I would expect slightly less term, 
and annual uh, AAV annual average value, perhaps in the neighborhood of a five-year, twenty million dollar deal. So, uh, Paul, for this group, uh, do you think Kelman, Sumela, Middleton, do any of those guys warrant more than a qualifying offer here? And do you think four million dollars a year is a reasonable price tag for Kevin LeBanc? I think the the three other fellows that you mentioned, I, I, the, none of them excite me, AJ, for the reason you spelled out. There's just not much offense coming from those sticks, uh, from that trio. But the situation with LeBanc bears a bit of a discussion. And I like the point that, that Kyle made in his summation of that situation. Here's a guy who had a 50-plus point season, and then he signs a $1 million deal? I didn't understand that at the time. And maybe he must have looked at his agent sideways for much of last year saying, I I don't know why you couldn't do better than that for me. And and it it may have reflected in his play all season long where his point total took a nosedive. So that nosedive kind of raises a spocky and eyebrow for me, partner. And, and I don't think you can make the case for $4 million a year, but certainly I would say something in the 2.5 to $3 million range is something... Uh, more appropriate for LeBanc than that paltry $1 million that he signed for last season. And uh, I think he should have fired his agent. Maybe he's got a new one by now, or I certainly can step in the breach and do better than that, I think, <laughs> based on what the guy got. But uh, he's got to answer the bell and tell, show people that that, one, that last season was, was a, an outlier and that he is that 50-point guy meriting that, that contract in the $3 million range per year. Well, maybe he'll get closer to four million because they owe him a little bit of money <laughs> after <laughs> after he signed that deal. Uh, speaking of guys who are going to be owed some money here, you've got the unrestricted free agent group, uh, pretty big group here. You've got Melker Carlson, Jumbo Joe Thornton, Stefan Nosen, Tim Heed, Dalton Prout, Brandon Davidson, and then Aaron Dell between the pipes. Look, uh, while Melker Carlson and Stefan Nosen are, are solid bottom six forwards, uh, this is an organization that has Alex True, uh, Joachim Blitchfield uh, pushing for more opportunities. And I just think, you know, Carlson and Nosen become expendable uh, for a long-term rebuild here. Now, I do acknowledge that the club is a little bit thin down the middle, so maybe they would be willing uh, to keep Joe Thornton around for another year. He probably will have to take less than the $2 million they paid him this year. And he'll probably have to be closer to $1 million in order to you know, give them some flexibility here. So we'll, we'll see if he's willing to do that. But I, I do think this is an, a club that's thin at the center position and could use a guy like Thornton for another year. You know, a, Another guy competing for a roster spot is going to be Mario Ferraro. Um, and I think he's got a good chance to, to do that, which means they're probably only looking for about one more defenseman. You know, they've got uh, Simic, uh, you know, Vlasic, Burns, Carlson all signed for next year. And that's a lot of money on the blue line. Um, so because they're not hard up against the cap, I, I still think you need to look at probably Brandon Davidson between Heed, Pralt and Davidson. He's probably the one that's going to be the most cost-effective, and I honestly think offers more potential upside here. I think you could get him in for two to three years at around eight hundred thousand a year, um, and and solidify that that spot. But I don't see them bringing in more than one of these guys um, based on how much they're already spending on that blue line. Look, no doubt, goaltending was the biggest problem for this team last season. 
But unfortunately for them, or, or fortunately if you think he can rebound, they've got several more years of Marty Jones left at, at $5.75 million. So he's really not going anywhere due to that contract. And, you know, when he had opportunities, I don't think Aaron Dell really stepped up. You know, I, I think he had a chance. Um, they signed Alexei uh, Milinichuk um, in May of 2020, and I think he will come in and be the number two netminder here and potentially push uh, Marty Jones for, for the starting spot. But you're paying him 925000 uh, so it keeps your overall goaltending goal spend under control uh, in terms of, of what you're spending there. So I just don't see them bringing back Aaron Dell. Um, Paul, biggest questions for you, I, I think, are do you bring back Joe Thornton? Do you bring back Aaron Dell? And in terms of those three blue liners, uh, one one only, or do you think they can fit more, or should they fit more? Uh, might be a more appropriate question. Well, there are a number of questions here, as you suggest, AJ. I'm thinking Joe Thornton must uh, must be wondering if he can get much more than a million dollars out of the, the Sharks going into an, his age 42 season. It's pretty much a victory lap for him to celebrate a Hall of Fame-worthy career. And if he wants to extend it, he's got to help the club out by taking that that uh, discounted price tag the same way that a Jason Spezza has, has done in the past in Toronto and I expect him to do again this season so that's one problem that should be rectified fairly readily if Joe wants to play again he's got to do the club a favor and, and come in much lower than the two million Marcus uh, I mean uh, Melker Carlson is a guy that probably is the signature piece among the UFAs up front that they have to think about re-upping he, can, he comes in at two million dollars for last season heading into his age 30 camp pain and coming off a year where he, where he only scored 12 points in 61 games year before 16 points in 79 games so that's the snack bracket that probably he'll ha- want to stay in if he possibly can I think he may need to take a bit of a pay cut as well uh, if he can re-up for two million he should be very happy about that then moving on to Stefan Noison look it's a $700,000 tab this is a guy who's a bottom, bottom six player if he gets re-upped here he should be thrilled because uh, he hasn't done anything to really uh, raise too many eyebrows uh, in my opinion the defense is where there's an interesting situation in my mind Tim Heat is a guy who has shown flashes of being a good offensive piece here but uh, those flashes have been a little bit too infrequent to get him much of a raise over the 960 that he earned last season I could see him getting 1.2 out of this circumstance I've got some time to talk about Mario Ferraro uh, as a as a guy who could be uh, a solid second pairing guy here. He signed at an entry level deal for a couple more years and could be a good value play going forward. Uh, if you're looking at a dynasty league situation, the situation for him is primed for real good opportunity. Uh, Brandon Davidson heading into his age 29 season. We're talking about here about a guy who is uh, a bit of a plugger offensively, although he did get 20 points in the minors with the Stockton Heat in his last 12, uh, 22 NHL games. He's collected exactly one point. So we're not talking about an offensive dynamo here. And that's why, uh, you know, if he, can, if he can get an extension on a $700,000 and maybe get it up to seven fifty eight hundred. dollars he should be happy as well. So guys have to take a prove-it kind of a deal 
for me to continue to stick around here if they want to. Otherwise, San Jose can again go out fishing on the open market to fill in those blanks. Aaron Dell, you said it very eloquently, AJ. Uh, $1.9 million a cap hit for a guy who couldn't keep the goals against under three. But mind you, his partner didn't do that as a starter, and he's earning 5.7. So it's a situation that's ripe for uh, a guy who's primed to push these guys, and that's Alex Melnichuk. You suggest that he's coming over from the KHL where he had a successful career season last year and uh, they got him for two years at 925 i think they're going to realize that that's an excellent value play for a guy who at least should contend for the backup role and and probably win it in in camp well with this club we don't have any minor league free agents who appeared in a game that need contracts uh, which is kind of our threshold for the articles. I do want to talk about one player um, that is going to be an RFA, and that's Jonathan Dolan. Uh, he's already decided to play overseas next season, but I would expect he'll get a qualifying offer from the club, which will retain uh, his rights with the organization. Little surprise that he's making that jump, but um, there are a number of guys that are facing you know, these questions as far as um, you know, if Dolan was coming over, was he on the NHL roster or not? And if he's not, is the AHL going to play this year or not? Uh, so there, there's a lot of questions up in the air, and I think that's making more guys trend towards European contracts. Um, we're seeing similar kind of conundrums with a player like Ilya Sorokin um, as, as they kind of figure out, you know, because if they're not on the NHL roster, look, we know one way or another, the NHL is playing next year, right? It's just going to happen. The AHL is a little bit more up in the air because of how they're dependent they are on ticket sales and, and you know, uh, for revenue. So I think that factored into this decision with Dallin, but it's certainly disappointing uh, if I'm a King or a Sharks fan, rather, to see him, uh, you know, signing over in Europe. So, Paul, do you have any more comments on, on Jonathan Dallin or are there any other kind of uh, minor league guys that, that you want to touch on real quick? Well, the, to underscore uh, the Dolan situation, he could produce 77 points in 51 games played last year across the pond. So you've got to love, love the offensive upside that's implied there. And that's why there should be a little bit of disappointment in San Jose's management ranks that this guy did not uh, decide to give it, give it a shot in the NHL. Look, the rest of the opportunities here are for players that have been up in the NHL. Look, I look at a, Johnny Brodzinski is a name that that jumps off this page for me. He's a guy who's who's bounced around the NHL as a bottom six player and uh, has been in the NHL for cups of coffee in each of the last four seasons, but really hasn't done much with those opportunities. He did have 30 points in 44 games in San Jose's AHL affiliate, his best run in the minors over the last couple of seasons, I would suggest. So maybe that's the only other name that I might include in, in any pros- prospecting that they might do from their minor league circumstance. Well, in terms of, of the final thoughts here, I, I expect, depending on how much money they give to Joe Thornton, I, I expect them to come in at about 4 to $5 million under the cap. You know, this is a roster that has guys like Logan Couture, Evander Kane, Brent Burns, and Eric Carlson, though obviously uh, injuries have, have become a problem with Carlson in the last few seasons. I still think this is a playoff caliber team. So for me, I think they're better off holding on to that that $4 million um, and see what they can do in terms of additions at, at the trade deadline. 
Look, part of that being if things go south again um, and they aren't going the way they want, then they didn't spend that $4 million on, on unnecessary pieces. I mean, there, there's always a financial aspect to it. And so if you buy a guy at the start of the year, um, you're kind of stuck with him if, if the season goes south. So for my money, I, I think I bank it and hope that we're going to be the team that everybody expects us to be uh, and go from there and then hopefully add at the trade deadline to, to give yourself that final push. Um, Paul, what, what do you think about that, that money? Do you spend it up at the start of the year? Or do you want to save it for the trade deadline? I think San Jose should take advantage of the fact that they have uh, some extra money. And I said it for a couple of the other teams we talked about today. seems that that's the theme in this group, AJ, and uh, some players are going to be left wanting in the UFA situation this, this offseason when, uh, when it happens. In, later in the fall, we're going to be talking about some strange money assigned to some names that should have been expecting more. And I think San Jose should not wait till the trade deadline when there might be more competition from other teams that are trying to make that playoff push or trying to make noise in the playoffs. I say make your noise early if you have that that uh, advantage of uh, extra money in this, under the salary cap. And they are another team that will have more, much more than the average club. Well, uh, heading uh, to our next group, uh, we're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks here who have 11 forwards, four defensemen, and one goaltender under contract uh, coming in at $59.4 million. They are on the hook for another four, uh, just over $4 million in a combined uh, hit from Ryan Spooner's buyout and Roberto Luongo's recapture penalty after he retired. Uh, looking at that flat cap, it's going to leave them uh, just a shade over $18 million in available space and seven spots to fill on that 23-man roster. Pretty sizable restricted free agent group here. You've got Jake Bertanen, Tyler Mott, Adam Gaudet, Zach McElwain, and Troy Stetcher. Um, you know, Vertanen, for his part, has increased his production every single year leading up to this most recent 36-point campaign. I look for him to get a similar contract to the four-year, $14 million deals that were signed by both Brian Russ and JT Comfer uh, over the course of the past two off-seasons. I think his production level is about where those guys were when they signed their respective deals. Uh, for Mott, this is a bottom-six depth guy, in my opinion, that did miss significant times during this season. I don't think he's going to get much more uh, than a, a bump to about a million and no more in terms of term than, than two years. I think, as uh, to use the term you uh, did last, uh, a prove-it deal for him to show, one, that he can be healthy, and two, that he can produce. For Gaudet, look, his rookie campaign, I think there's no way to describe that, but anything but disappointing based on kind of the uh, fanfare around him. But he's rebounded from that with 12 goals, 21 helpers, in 59 games this year and i think that'll get him close to the 1.5 million range on on a two-year bridge deal uh, this is a guy that could increasingly compete i think for for a bigger role you know he's not going to be their first line center <laughs> that's very clear that's elias petterson uh, hands down but i think if he can push for a top six role they could potentially move a guy like bo horvat to the wing uh, you know, who's a little bit more of a flexible player in, in that sense. And so they could stack up that top six a little bit more. And I, I really think Adam Gaudet has the potential to be a, a, a top six center in this league. Uh, if I'm a 
you know, Canucks fan. I'm hoping it's it's with my club, obviously. Uh, for McElwain, his qualifying offer should do the job there. Just 21 games of NHL experience. Uh, for the back end on the blue line here, uh, Stetcher has become a mainstay in this lineup. He's played 65-plus games in each of his four NHL seasons. He's topped the 20-point mark twice. And the contract that I thought made the most sense was the five-year deal given to Marcus Pedersen um, with likely a slightly higher AAV than, than Pedersen got because of those 20-point seasons. So I peg him for about five years at $4.25 million a hit. Um, Paul, that'll be my first question to you. Is that an overpayment, in your opinion, for Troy Stetcher at, at $4.25 million? And then same question for Vertanen. Uh, where do you fall in relation to like a four-year, $14 million contract? Stetcher did take a step up in his development last year, AJ. And again, that right-handed, coveted right-handed defenseman. I mean, it's it's like wash, rinse, repeat in terms of my notes on each of the three teams we've covered so far when it <laughs> comes to the opportunities here for the players they have to resign. I think Stetcher does come in a little bit lower than what you suggested, but the term would be about right. Uh, I think three, four years at about three and a half million dollars could get the deal done for a guy that figures to solidify that second pairing and uh, he's the only RFA among the defenseman group the uh, the real interesting read for me will be what do they think they have in Jake Vertanen people wait been waiting on this guy for to come along and last year he did uh, 18 goals and 18 assists and 36 points uh, obviously and so we're starting to see that maybe he's He's capable of being that 20-goal shooter and should challenge for a second-line role. And that means I think he gets a substantial raise over his $1.2 million. Again, I'm looking at a three, $3.2 million AAV for him. Should he be able to build on what he did last year? I think that's good value, and they should consider locking up this guy for about three, four seasons at that rate if they can. Tyler Mott is a, a guy that will come in much lower than that, obviously, for what he gives. He's a bottom six guy here and should be uh, able to get uh, re-signed for just something a little bit slightly more than a qualifying offer, maybe 1.2, 1.3 range for him. Adam Gaudet is a guy that I'm really high on, AJ, and I looked at the, the Tampa Lightning for a comparable. I think he could be almost like as valuable for Vancouver as Sorelli is for Tampa as that second, third line center kind of hybrid situation. And uh, boy, it starts to line up very well for this club at the middle position when you consider you got him behind Horvat and Elias Pettersson as the top three guys. Then Brandon Sutter is no slouch uh, as the fourth line center. So really good depth at the center position. But Gaudet is a guy who's in line for a reward, in my estimation, for what he's uh, done and what he could do for this team in the next few years so i think he could get a nice bump over the 916 something in the two to 2.3 million dollar range is what i figure for him and uh, in uh, in terms of other players aj what do you think about the ufa crop here yeah so we'll look at uh, another pretty sizable group there's a lot of decisions this offseason for for vancouver it starts uh, in the forward ranks with tyler Toffoli, uh, josh levo then they also have Chris Tanev, Oskin Fattenberg, and then a pair of netminders in terms of UFAs and, and Jacob Markstrom and, and Louis Domingue. I think the biggest priorities are obviously Toffoli and Markstrom and, and what you want to do with them. It was a pretty short tryout period uh, with the club for, for Toffoli. Um, I think the, the postseason will be a big factor here on what they decide to do. But in 10 contests, he averaged a point per game, including six goals. 
which got him to his second straight 20-plus goal season. And I don't think you let that level of production walk. Uh, it's probably, I, I admit this in the article, it's probably a bit of an overpayment. But I think the club could afford to give him like a four-year, $5 million a year deal um, to lock him in long term. And, and I really don't see a reason not to do that. You're getting him when he's 28, so he's got a, a couple of really solid seasons left. $5 million represents a, a, a decent, a, you know, a somewhat uh, raise for him. And so I, I think it's a, a reasonable deal. Like I said, maybe a bit of an overpayment, um, but certainly worth it. I think Levo, meanwhile, is is capable, but, you know, he's dealt with injuries They've got Zach McElwain, who I alluded to, and, and another player, Justin Bailey, looking for more opportunities. So I think you let Levo hit the open market. And the same can be said on the blue line. You've got Quinn Hughes and Troy Stetcher, who we just talked about. I don't see any reason to pay Chris Tanov anywhere near the $4.45 million that, that he was making. So, again, I, I let him walk. Um, I think that gives you an opportunity to keep a player like Fattenberg around just in case you have concerns about development of some of their minor guys, uh, Brogan, Rafferty, uh, Guillermo, Bruce Bois, uh, both players uh, who I think could, uh, you know, contribute to the team heading into to next season. But I think you want kind of that known quality seventh defenseman like Oscar Fattenberg to keep around. Uh, in between the pipes, you've got Thatcher Demko. Uh, looking closer and closer to being able to take over as a, as a number one here. And so I think I would be surprised to see them give any significant term to, to Markstrom here, but I do think you still want to keep him around. They're not paying Demko that much. It's only a million dollars a year. So I thought maybe a two year, $8 million contract for Markstrom. It acknowledges, uh, I think that he's heading into um, potentially no longer being with the club and acknowledges that he's potentially not going to be the number one guy here anymore. But it's a pay raise. It's more than one year of term. And so I think it could allow them to come to an agreement. And if they do figure something out with Markstrom, then they really don't need Louis Domingue, uh, you know, paying a guy $1.15 million to, to sit in the minors uh, just doesn't make sense, especially a, a veteran guy like Domingue. Um, who's 28 years of age. You already really know what you have in terms of him. Um, they've also got Michael DiPietro uh, in their minor league system make it, making some noise as well. So I don't really see a reason to bring him around. Paul, the, the two big questions here I'll pose to you. Do you bring back Tyler Toffoli uh, for you know $5 million, and do you bring back Jacob Markstrom for $4 million? That's $9 million spent on two players. I certainly think they're worth it, but uh, what say you? I, I would definitely agree. I think you're underselling Markstrom, first of all, if I can say that. Uh, I think he ranks among the top 10 goalies in the NHL based on what he did last season, and he's behind a Vancouver team that's, I think, going to make some noise in the next few years. So that stability and goal is going to cost them something, and you expect that, that Markstrom has found his, his new level in the Nets behind a team with some structure here, and uh, it's a good situation for both sides, so they got to come up to an agreeable plateau, and $4 million seems to be a reasonable the threshold for me for about four years if they can get him in terms of Toffoli look I'm really excited about the fit with this guy and this team he's a, he's easily a top six forward in this mix and I think if he's paired with 
with uh, uh, the dynamic young centerman, Pedersen, you've got something there for the foreseeable future. With him and Besser in that top line, that could be really something to watch. Toffoli is a guy who brings some physicality to the game that will be missing uh, from the other two guys. Uh, so he fills that void as well. And that's all got to cost you something. And he showed the tip of the iceberg of what he's capable of here in his short stint with the club. In 10 games, he did get 10 points. Before that, he only had 34 and 58 games with L.A. But I'm suggesting to you, you and our listeners that if he's in a good situation on a top scoring line, he'll deliver the goods and be well worth that money. So uh, I think that's nine nine million dollars. That's very well spent. You did say Chris Tanev is overpaid at four point four five four point four five million on that expiring deal from last year. As he heads into his age thirty one season, he needs to take a haircut if he wants to stick around here. If not, it'll be a very short negotiation, and they'll hold the exit door open for him. And a guy like Oscar Fantenberg could maybe fill that role as a, as a bottom pairing defenseman with a couple of guys moving up. Uh, Quinn Hughes obviously uh, has been the wonder kid that, that adds to the mix here behind Edler and Myers. So they'd be looking for a guy to fill that fourth role. And, you know, Oscar Fantenberg maybe is, is not ideal, but uh, certainly for, for the value uh, of re-upping him at a million dollars, I'd rather take that than Chris Tanev at 4.5 million. So that's the short discussion there. In the Nets, you know, you've, you've oversold Thatcher Demko, for, for my, in my opinion. I think he's still going to be number two behind Markstrom, but he is closing the gap, and uh, that's a healthy situation in the Vancouver Nets. Uh, uh, Demko is locked up for another year at 1050000 and if he does have a good season and closes the gap, good on him. But I do think that signing Markstrom for that deal is a big-time priority for this club. And uh, I'll also say that I have a, a soft spot for Josh Levo. He had a nice run with Elias Pettersson in his rookie season to show me that the offensive side of his, of his game is in order, and he's no worse than a third-line winger in this circumstance and has played second-line minutes. So uh, that's got to cost you something in ordinary times and uh, I think he would be due a qualifying order offer bump over the 1.5 million that he earned last season well looking uh, at these minor league guys uh, remaining here that played in an NHL game you've got Nikolai Goldobin Tyler Grovac Justin Bailey and Ashton Sautner look Goldobin has already agreed to to a contract overseas next season so he won't be back I would expect Vancouver will give him a qualifying offer that will retain his rights uh, for a potential return. In terms of Bailey, he racked up the second most goals uh, with 28 for AHL Utica this last season. I think he's a candidate for the opening night roster, um, but expecting anything more than a qualifying offer here, I think is a bit of a pipe dream for, for him with you know limited NHL experience. Sautner and Grovac are, are certainly fine pieces you want as part of the organization. Uh, if they're willing to return on, on two-way deals, then I certainly think it makes sense to sign them. But it, it really shouldn't be a big priority for Vancouver this season. If, if there's at any, uh, in my opinion, if again, if I'm the GM, if there's any at all pushback uh, to the contract I would offer those guys, I would just let them walk. Uh, and fill it out with with other pieces here so paul um 
do you have any any of these guys that you think are worth a, a little bit more than than what I'm I'm selling them on? Well, I, I'm also interested in a guy like Nikolai Goldobin, AJ, and I, I'm going to throw it back to you to see about what you think about his situation. I think this is a guy who has had some time in the NHL and uh, and has at time turned some heads. And what he did in Utica last year should continue to turn heads. Fifty points in fifty-one games played. He only played the one game with the Canucks, as you suggested. So no worse than really good insurance in terms of being a prolific scorer in the minor leagues and I think you re-up him for at least that qualifying offer that should get him in that 1 million 1.1 million dollar a year range they also have Sven Berchi down there AJ he's re-signed he's on the books for 3.3 million dollars down there in the minors I don't know what they want to do with him but he's also had had some good times in the NHL so more good insurance in the minors it means to me that they have some, some of those pieces and if anybody else wants to compete like a Bailey they've got to recognize that and say you know there are some proven options down here that we have to battle with and so we better just bite the bullet here and and take what we can get and, and drive on well for for Goldobin I I absolutely agree I would I would have given him more than than a um a qualifying offer here the problem is that he has already agreed to to play overseas so that's the story contract I didn't know over that. there I didn't so. know that AJ so that's good information but uh, yeah yeah well, in ordinary terms uh that's a guy they you know they may rue the day that they let him walk because he's got another good insurance type in terms of scoring for uh, say a third line position but hey uh, you can only do so much with some of these players and uh I think they have a good future in Vancouver, so we're looking forward to seeing what they do in uh, with the off-season uh, and the free agency situation. We can talk about that a little bit, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, for them, I think there's two things that they need to, to figure out this season. You mentioned Sven Berchi. Um, I think they need to find a trade partner for him. It, it sounds like the, the relationship is, is a little fractured. They're not sold on him as a full-time NHLer, but this isn't a guy that you want eating up you know you they buried his contract in the minors and that eats up about 2.3 ish uh, million dollars in cap space and so you don't need that sitting on your books so i think finding somebody to take him uh is is kind of a priority for them he had 46 points in 43 games with utica i think he'll have some decent trade value um for the organization they don't have a first or second round pick in the upcoming 2020 draft so that might be an opportunity to recoup something there. Maybe you can package up Berchi with like their third rounder to move up to the second, something uh, in that nature. The other thing that they need to do is figure out what to do with Louis Erickson. Now, <laughs> I was waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, $6 million a year for a guy that has primarily sat uh, on on the you know in the press box from time to time at, at chunks of the season here's the pro the two biggest problems they're facing next year he has a uh modified no trade clause so he can submit a 15 team no trade list so the player immediately takes half the teams off the table um obviously he could waive that if he felt like it was it became the right fit um but trying to get somebody to take six million dollars in cap space you know Ottawa would be a great team that could take that and and some other um, pieces along with it, but he probably doesn't want to go to Ottawa, so they'll no doubt be on that that no trade list. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, uh, the solution is always well, just buy out the contract, right? Because of how his contract is structured, most of his earnings this upcoming year are actually in signing bonus, which doesn't factor into the buyout. 
So if you bought out his contract this year, the cap hit would still be five point six million dollars that's only saving you um about three hundred thousand dollars which isn't even enough for a, a a player you can't you know you can't fill in a player for that the savings go up a little bit more in the second year of that buyout to 2.3 but even that is not that much so i really think um the best option that i found was honestly putting him on waivers and moving him to the miners and burying the contract that was where i found that they would get the most savings from this the one maybe perk of that is you put him on waivers and maybe uh potentially another team picks him up and if that happens then the entire six million is somebody else's problem if nobody picks him up he goes into the miners and they accrue more cap savings um burying the contract than they would from a buyout um, so I, I think that's probably their best option here. Um, Paul, what do you, what do you think about these guys? What, what would you do here? Well, Erickson is the one that we got to discuss, obviously. I mean, you you think, is there an NHL team that can absorb a $6 million cap hit? That, that is a reasonable possibility. And then you mentioned Ottawa Senators, I'll add New Jersey Devils. They're both at the bottom of the ladder in terms of available cap space, but neither one of these teams has spent to the cap for several years, and they're not going to blow their brains out to put Louis Erickson in the mix unless they get a real carrot attached to that, like that maybe the Canucks' first-round draft pick might entice one of those teams to step up. That's what the Leafs had to do to move Patrick Marlowe, if you'll remember, the uh, season before this one. And uh, so that's the only type of scenario that could rescue them that way. The waiver option is an intriguing one. This guy's heading into his age 35 season. He, he's made his money in the NHL and had his time in the NHL. If he wants to continue to grab a paycheck uh, and extend the career, he may be limited to that as the only real option. So it'll be interesting to see how that thing plays out because this guy's been... Uh, uh, a lead pipe cinch in the NHL for several years, but he's worn out his welcome in Vancouver the last couple of seasons and been the butt of a lot of uh, jokes that aren't too far off the mark in terms of the lack of productivity for the money that they're spending there. It's it's ridiculous. Nothing short of that. Well, just to follow that up in terms of the, the actual numbers, I had to, to look it up here real quick. If they bury him in the minor minors, his cap hit goes down uh, to about 49 million dollars now i get that's still a lot obviously but it's a lot less than six and is equal to about what i would expect uh, they'll give a contract to adam gaudet so it's a lot of it when you talk about buyouts versus burying a contract a lot of it is about replaceable players and you can't get a guy in the league for three hundred thousand dollars it just doesn't work no (laughs) um so uh, the in terms of immediate solutions for them, other than finding some sort of trade, the minors uh, league option is is a better route for them in terms of actual savings um, than the buyout. So it's it's an interesting situation to watch and one that I think could be uh, you know one of the more intriguing you know non uh, non signings uh, discussions going into to next season. We'll round out uh, our, our look this week with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, they have 10 forwards, six defensemen, and one goaltender under contract next season for a pretty hefty uh, $74.5 million. They are on the hook for another uh, $500,000 in retained salary for Thomas Tatar. That gives them just about $6.3 million in terms of cap space and six roster spots to fill. 
Uh, we've been talking about some pretty hefty restricted free agent groups. This one's actually pretty small in Chandler Stephenson and Nick Cousins. Look, we talked off the top of the show that there are going to be guys that are not going to get paid um, what they certainly think they are worth. And I think Stephenson and Cousins are two of those players. I think they're both worth keeping around. I think they're both worth some extra term. But the factor of the matter is with the salary cap as it is right now, not set to increase until the 22-23 season, Vegas is going to be in a cap crunch for a while. Uh, I think salary arbitration is almost inevitable for these two guys, but I think what the organization does is we'll give them qualifying offers that will essentially be one-way deals that match their current AAV, which is $1.05 million for, for Stephenson and $1 million for Nick Cousins, and then it'll go to arbitration to see uh, where it lands. But I just don't see how the money works to give these guys any more. Paul, uh, let's assume the cap went up to, you know, at one point we were looking at $84 million potentially for the cap. So assuming $84 million, what do you think these guys' actual value would be? I, I, I think it's certainly above what they're going to get here. But if, if the cap were going up, would you pay either one of these guys, you know, maybe closer to $2 million, something like that? Yeah, I think you make a very strong case. When you look at the productivity of both of them, they are guys that are not million-dollar players for what they did in the entirety of last season when they, you look at it. They moved around. Uh, they played in a different, couple of different locales, but they scored at a, a rate that is typically compensated in the high ones or almost approaching $2 million a year for a guy who should compete for a third-line role in each case. Cousins probably more likely to be suited in a fourth line role. His flexibility as a capable guy who plays all three forward positions, another asset there. So if you can re-up these guys and keep them in within uh, the salary constraints that the, the Knights are confined to, I think that's a that's going to be a win there. But it's going to really be a shoehorn exercise because there is another notable guy amongst the UFAs that, that we'll get to in a minute that should eat, eat up much of that money in my estimation. Well, talking about that group, I, I imagine you're talking about Thomas Nosek in terms of the forwards. They do also have uh, John Merrill, Derek England, and Robin Lerner uh, in, in terms of UFAs. Maybe you're talking about Lerner. I, we'll have to see here in a minute. I'll start with that blue line uh, in terms of Merrill and England. Look, the, the Vegas Golden Knights have both Zach Whitecloud and Jimmy Schultz pushing for more ice time. So I just don't think there's a reason to keep both Merrill and England. Uh, England, I think, would be willing to potentially come back and play another season. We know how much he means to this organization uh, beyond the on-ice product here as as a Vegas native, uh, obviously. And so I think keeping him around on another one-year veteran minimum deal gives them uh, some of that, that veteran presence that, that the club really needs. And so I think they'll let Merrill walk. You know, if you think about Nosek, the fact he's never reached the 20 point mark here, um, I just don't think, you know, there's there's issues with Stephenson and Cousins, and I just don't think there's a way to keep him around. The, the club also doesn't really have, in my opinion, an heir apparent uh, between the pipes. So I think they need to keep Robin Lerner around as a 1A option, um, you know, to just kind of bolster it. Unfortunately for them, they're paying Marc-Andre Fleury $7 million a year. Now, in my estimation, as all of our listeners will know, I think Marc-Andre Fleury is worth $7 million a year. Um, there's some people that, that might not. So um, 
I, as much as I think they want to keep Lerner and should keep Lerner, I still just don't see that the money is going to be there. And I don't know how they can, um, you know, make it. The one uh, suggestion from uh, Kyle in, in his writing here was that they would potentially have to move a player like Paul Stastny. Um, and that would open up about six and a half million. And, and maybe that's what they can do here um, to get Lerner under contract. So uh, that's the question I'll pose to you, Paul. Uh, if it's your choice between Robin Lerner as, as your number two or one, you know, one B goalie, one A, whatever you want to say, or Paul Stastny, which one are you keeping for this club? What a tough call. I mean, and it's complicated by the fact that they're already paying $7 million to Mark andre Fleury. If they're going to re-up, uh, the, the goalie there that you're talking about, Robin Leonard, he's uh, he earned five million dollars last year. He's on the books for LA, Las Vegas for 1.4, but that's because uh, they managed to include parts of his contract within a deal with the Maple Leafs to to subsidize that that move effectively at the trade deadline. So that was one factor. But the guy was paid at five million dollars. You think he's going to want to take anything less than four when he's he's proven himself to be a very viable candidate for a top goalie role in the NHL? I mean, he is the heir apparent as long as he's behind Marc-Andre Fleury, and he knows that. Fleury is the face of this franchise. Won't be, won't be upstaged by Leonard or anybody else next season, in my opinion. So that really is a conundrum for the, the Knights. If they want to spend upwards of 10 or $12 million on the goaltending, that puts them in a class by themselves almost when you look around the NHL. And I just don't think it's, it's a doable circumstance for them uh, because they would probably be better served by locking up a guy like Nosek, who was, who was the first guy you mentioned about uh, uh, among the forwards, who probably deserves a raise over the million dollars that he earned. I mean, you look at what he did last season, 15 points in 67 games, not setting the world on fire, but good insurance in the top six uh, forwards there uh, as he sits in a third or fourth line role uh, in the depth chart. Uh, Stastny certainly looks to be overpaid. You're implying that's the circumstance they'd like to pivot from. But uh, still, the guy did produce last year to the tune of 38 points in 71 games. Not ideal, but uh, I think he's somewhere between that level and the 42 points in 50 games that he notched the season before. So not terribly overpaid when I, when I look for something in that mid-range. But uh, heading into his age 35 season, they might want to pivot away from him if they're serious about... Uh, retaining Leonard's rights and saying you know what we'll have Flurry for the next two seasons and then you'll be the next guy that we turn to but that's a heck of a, an expensive insurance policy in my estimation oh absolutely and I, I think the interesting you know I, I want to be clear is that I'm not suggesting uh, that that Paul Stastny be traded away before our friend uh, Daniel Negreanu you know jumps on me for for suggesting that um, although maybe he likes the idea. We'll have to wait and see. I know he was going to check out the article when he got a chance. Um, you know, I, I think Kyle's suggesting that. I personally would keep Stastny over Robin Leonard. Um, that's just, just my position on it. And some of that has to do with they signed a, a young player, uh, Yuri Patera, just recently to an entry-level contract. Now, he's just 21 years old, um, but his the last year of his ECL would coincide with the first year that Flurry's contract would come off the books. So kind of a, a nice potential transition there, depending on, on what he can do in, in terms of um, you know showing where he's at in terms of development. I think combining him with the fact that you have Oscar Dansk and Dylan Ferguson in the organization, 
I think this club is still in a solid spot if they can't retain Robin Lerner. All that to say, among the minor league free agents who appeared in a game, which is Gage Quinney, Keegan Colasar, Valentin Zykoff, and then Garrett Sparks, I think Sparks will be on the outs and will be hitting uh, the open market here. I don't really see a reason that the organization needs to keep him around. Zykov, for his part, I think is definitely going to get a deal. Um, but unless they're going to give him a one-way deal, I'm not sure that he's going to be willing to re-sign with them. Uh, I think based on what he did in the minors and where you know what he's done um, in other places in his career, I think he's going to be looking for a one-way deal. And I'm just not sure Vegas will be able to offer him that at this point. Uh, Quinny and Colasar will be uh, their you know, qualifying offer guys and, and not really worth it. So, uh, Paul, uh, biggest question, do, do you think, as somebody who's seen a little bit more of him firsthand, do you think Garrett Sparks uh, will be back with the organization next year? You know what? He talked his way out of Toronto, essentially, and he hasn't done himself any favors with his on-ice play since he left uh, the big smoke up here and uh, he he had a decent season I guess you can say with the Chicago Wolves uh, 275 goals against average in uh, 26 games appeared uh, in so decent numbers down there but really you mentioned there's com- competition for the net minding even in the minor league level with uh, with Daz- uh, Dansk and Dylan Ferguson there and the prospect that you identified earlier so uh, Sparks really uh, has no place in the, in the Las Vegas system that I can determine. Uh, you look at Jason Megna on the defense. This guy is a, a bottom-pairing guy, and if he wants to stick around, needs to take nothing more than a qualifying offer and might just go laterally at 700 grand to retain a shot at being a significant contributor at best as a third-pairing guy over here. Zekoff is the guy that they will rue if they, if they can't figure a way to keep this guy around, in my opinion. You did mention he has proven, proven himself to be a, a fairly good scorer in uh, di- different circumstances across the pond, and since he's come over here, he's had some nice, nice seasons with the Charlotte Checkers in the AHL a couple of seasons ago, and uh, since then, a couple of cups of coffee in the NHL, a short stint with the Chicago Wolves last year, where he uh, come by, came up with 15 points in 29 games, reminding people that he has that scoring ability. Uh, I think you would you would like to keep him in the mix as some insurance should uh, there be an opportunity with with injuries to the big club. So that's the only circumstance that that is a head scratcher for me and con- should be a concern for the team's management. I think in terms of of our final thoughts here. For me, no doubt the backup goaltending situation is really the biggest question mark here. You know, I look at the team and and I don't see any egregiously bad contracts. Um, nobody really that warrants a, a buyout or nobody that like has to be moved a la Louis Erickson. Um, I think there's some there are going to be potentially some options to sign. Um, as a backup uh, outside of Robin Leonard, and, and a couple that I identified are Laurent Brossois, uh, who I do think should be re-signed by the Jets. I talked about that in theirs, but it's potential that that doesn't happen. Louis Domingue, I think, could be a capable backup. I just said I don't see him fitting uh, uh, with Vancouver uh, long term. And then a minor league guy, uh, Troy Grosnick, uh, was named uh, AHL second all-star team this this past season. He'll be a UFA. Um, I don't necessarily think he's in the the plans long term for for the Nashville Predators. He is a little bit older. Uh, I believe he's 30 years of age, um, but he went 29 and three 
with AHL Milwaukee this season, a 2.29 goals against average, um, and really I think could be a capable number two uh, in the NHL. And, and honestly, a guy that won't, I, I don't think he's really going to push to take over. I do want to throw out, Paul, for your consideration, one kind of uh, interesting suggestion that I saw circulating about in, in hockey uh, circles lately was that potentially heading into the 21-22 season, that the Golden Knights uh, would figure out a way to ship Mark andre Fleury to Seattle for their first year. Now, uh, they don't have to worry about giving up a player. They're not eligible for, for the expansion draft. But it was a, a kind of interesting idea there. You know, it would be the last year of his season uh, or last year of his contract. They're paying him $7 million a year if, if they think Robin Leonard is the better option long term there. Um, so that'll be my biggest question. Do you think the Golden Knights would ever consider trading Marc-Andre Fleury away and having him go be the face of another expansion franchise? Well, look, I know that must have been hard for you to spit out because you're probably the president of his fan club, maybe <laughs> Negrano, the VP. So I know if I say that, uh, definitely that's the, the, the way to go. I'm going to hear from both of you guys after the show. But you know what? Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has been a solid citizen in Las Vegas, and I really don't think they pivot away from him unless he says, you know what, I'll do you the favor. But he's not going to be the one that initiates that conversation. And I think he has every reason to stick to his guns because this is a team that should make noise in each of the next two seasons of his contract, as well as the end of this current campaign. This is a team that's right at the top of the league in terms of contending clubs in the Western Conference, I'll say. And uh, he's a big reason why. So I don't know why anybody would really seriously entertain moving him to another club even if it is to accommodate a guy who should come in a lot cheaper and a lot younger seven years younger and uh, has proven himself to be a really good starter in the nhl and and really the quandary for me is what does happen to robin leonard if he doesn't uh, choose to stick around here and try his options in the in the free agent market there's not a lot of teams here that'll spend up to to pay him uh, anything approaching $5 million next year, I don't think, in the current climate, AJ, because there's not a lot of clubs that have that kind of coin to spend in free agency. So the real dilemma for him is where, where will he get the most money or what's the best situation? If he wants to stick around in, in Vegas, I don't see how they can pay him any more than three or four tops. And uh, is that enough to keep him in as an understudy on a really good team? I don't know. Uh, that's something you, he has to deal with. But uh, to me, that's maybe the number one situation around the whole of the NHL this offseason, apart from the Alex Petrangelo situation in St. Louis. What happens to these two proven players in a free agent market that doesn't have the money that previous ones have had? Yeah, absolutely. And I would even toss Taylor Hall into that group sure. as well. Sure. Um, I should also clarify, like, like I said, I, I saw this rumor kicking around um, you know, the other thing is Mark Andre Fleury gets to submit a 10 t- team no trade list. Uh, I would imagine that Seattle would be on that. I don't think, you know, this is a guy that probably uh, spent so much time in Pittsburgh that, you know, up and moving his, his family and everything to, to Vegas, I'm sure was hard. Obviously, he seems to really enjoy it there. So I, I would imagine he wouldn't want to do that again to end up with with a team like Seattle. Um so I, I, I don't expect it to happen by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something that I saw out there and I wanted to just get your thoughts on it. So that 
wraps up our, our four-team look uh, this week at the last couple Pacific Division teams. We will round out our cap compliance series. Uh, uh, the articles will come out this week, uh, and that's going to be Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and then Washington. And then, obviously, Paul, you and I will talk about that next week. And then we're going to have to find something new to talk about. Um, but I think we're heading towards some playoff hockey. That's right. So that'll be the playoff preview section of our of our 2020 calendar and we're looking forward to getting into that aj but just as much as that i'm looking forward to continuing our draft series and today we're looking at the 2004 draft and because of that blockbuster trade that i pulled off last week with you and basically giving you uh, your captain of captains Sidney crosby as the top overall pick i get the first pick in this draft, but I don't think you're going to be too brokenhearted, even though I, I, I pick Alexander Ovechkin off the top by 202 points, the leading scorer in this draft class. But on a points per game basis, the guy that you're going to pick next is a, a tad bit above that. But I'm OK with getting the most prolific goal scorer in hockey. Well, if you want the second best player in the draft class, by all means, you're welcome <laughs> to take him. You know, we talk about center being the more important position than than wing. And so I will take the number one center and arguably, maybe not really. I'm totally kidding. He's not arguably the best player, easily the second best player in this group. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, who went second overall to Pittsburgh. I would never truly suggest that he's a better overall uh, player than Alexander Ovechkin, but uh, the top center, no doubt. And that means that the number one and number two pick in the 2004 draft lived up to their billing, AJ. But I'm going to depart from the the third pick overall and say I'm dropping down to the fifth overall guy in this class. And that gives me Blake Wheeler, who has played some time at the center position most recently, but uh, has been more known as a rugged winger. And uh, so I have two rugged scoring wingers to to fill out the first line so far with my two picks in this draft well look for my money i I thought you were going to go a different route here and i'm glad you didn't because there is a clear in my opinion number one goaltender in this group uh that was not clear when the draft occurred he went in the eighth round we don't even go that deep anymore um 258th overall pick a rene to nashville i think is the very clear number one goalie in this group there are certainly some names that i'm sure you'll talk about but for my money there's no doubt that rene was the number one guy and i will take him uh with the second pick here yeah i thought you would go with that goalie and i didn't mind because there's a couple of options that well while the gap on name recognition might be a little further than people think i don't when you i quote the stats uh, it's closer it'll be closer to the truth uh i'm going to take the uh, top scoring defenseman in this draft not for what he's done since he was in detroit but for what he did earlier in his career with the washington capitals i'm talking about mike green who has 501 points in 880 games and was in his prime one of the top offensive defensemen in hockey uh, during a very nice run with the capitals so mike green becomes my first defenseman well i will go with the 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 next player on the total points list and that's david krejci another center here went in the second round to to boston has 206 uh, 207 rather goals 479 points and really uh you know i would say if if you're counting wheeler as a wing which you know normally i think you would although as you said he has been playing center i think that would make david krejci the second best center in the group. So really uh, find myself stacked down the middle here. 
Well, and I'm going to fill in one of those center positions with Travis Zajac, a guy who uh, earlier on in his career had a better scoring rate than in the last couple of seasons, but all told, 532 points in 991 games would make him the sixth highest scoring player in this class, and uh, I'll grab him to fill in one of my pivot positions. Well, the next best goal scorer uh, in this group and actually point total as well is is Andrew Ladd, who went fourth overall to Carolina. Um, obviously, the last couple of years with, with the Islanders maybe have been a, l- a little bit tough, but over the course of his career has been uh, a really quality player for them. Uh, had several seasons with the Chicago Blackhawks which he, in which he barely missed a game uh, and really has been a, a phenomenal player over the course of his career. I'm going to go back to the defense core, and I'm going to pick a guy who was the third highest scoring defender in this class uh, career to date, and that's Alex Goligoski, picked by the Pittsburgh Penguins, second round, 61st overall. Had a pretty nice career going for himself so far, 407 points in 868 games. My power play pairing on the blue line is set with the arrival of Goligoski to make my fifth round pick. Yeah, really, uh, <laughs> I you I let you take the top defenders, but you know it won't matter as much since I have the the best netminder here, um, <laughs> and I will go with another winger, uh, Drew Stafford, went 13th overall the Buffalo, um, just a little shy of that uh, that 200 goal mark with 196, a uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin native, so so homegrown talent here. Um, Last couple years of his career, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely down, but with his time with the Sabres, he was really a, a quality player, hit the 20-goal mark uh, three times, in it, or four times rather, in his career, and even 30 once uh, with Buffalo. Uh, I'm going to go down in, in the class a little bit here, picking a guy who was f- uh, probably about 12th in the scoring among offensive players here, but really you look at the games played and the points production alexander radiloff rates a lot higher than that when you go on a point per game basis and i like what he's turning into uh, in in his current role with the dallas stars so happy to grab him with my sixth round pick well then uh let's see i do have plenty of centers but i you know i can't avoid uh taking you know the the probably the best remaining player here so hopefully uh, one of these guys can move to the wing for me i'm going to take brandon dubinsky um obviously has seen his career at the end here kind of sidetracked um by that that wrist injury um but a, a very capable player 438 points in 823 games and i think uh you know overall if, if this is the end of his career I, I certainly think he will look back and be happy about where he uh, what he did well, when you look at the games played by this guy, you realize that he's had an injury-played career, AJ, and really has not been a factor in the Detroit system in the last couple of seasons. But in his prime, one of the more prolific power play specialists, and his size in front of the net uh, brings back very vivid memories for me in a long playoff runs by the Detroit Red Wings. I'm talking about the guy they called the Mule. 370 points in 602 games only tells the tip of the iceberg of how important he was to several of those playoff runs, and it's on that basis that he earns the the nod as my seventh round pick here uh, in this draft. Well, I'm going to go uh, with a, a winger just to round out my my group here. I'll eventually get to defensemen <laughs> at some point, but uh, I'm going to go with the next uh, just kind of ticking down the road the next highest 
a guy here, and that's Ryan Callahan. Um, unfortunately, saw his career come to a close a little bit prematurely uh, due to injury, but uh, 186 goals, 200 assists in 757 games, was a phenomenal player with both the Rangers and the Lightning. Um, and really, uh, again, another guy, especially considering drafted in the fourth round, 127th overall, that should look back very uh, positively on, on his career. When I look at the rest of the players available, you know what? There are a couple of capable scorers, but uh, I like the defense class in in this draft year, AJ. And I know even if I pick one more, you're still going to have a couple of guys that are pretty proven scorers in the league for the time that they were there. But I really have always been a fan of Alex Adler in the Vancouver circumstance. 401 points, 873 games played. Uh, tells only a bit of the story. This guy's been a team leader in the Vancouver circumstance for years and one of the better power play uh, quarterbacks in the league for an extended time. So uh, I'll grab him as my third offensive catalyst from the back end here. Well, I think that uh, kind of makes up my mind for me on, on who I'll take first here. And um, in terms of point production, you know, it was actually second to Mike Green uh, and that's Mark Strike who, uh, you know, shot up this list, was a ninth-round selection, 262nd overall by Montreal, um, had uh, some some stints, uh, started out overseas, so his NHL career was was a little bit short in, in that sense. Um, I, I wonder if he had maybe played here, uh, you know, a little bit sooner. Maybe, maybe that would have helped, but um, a great overall defenseman, still put up 434 points and, uh, you know, really uh, a quality player. And uh, the final piece of my offense is going to be a guy that had bounced around the league in the last few years. Carl Soderberg has cemented himself as a very capable third line scorer uh, and certainly has been insurance policy and played second line minutes in, in a couple of different locales over his time when needed. 280 points in 552 games with a defensive responsibility uh, IQ and his his regimen makes him a very, very valuable piece that I'm able to grab with my ninth pick and uh, that's the end of the offensive pieces for me well then I'll, I'll grab uh, another blue liner here in uh, Andre Mazaros uh, was taken 23rd overall by Ottawa uh, actually had more goals uh, than the next best uh, you know scoring here guy which was Andre Sequeira uh, had 63 goals in 645 games I think certainly could have had more uh, he's still kicking around in, in the Slovakian league, um, spent a couple seasons in the KHL, so hasn't been an NHL guy since 2014-15, um, but certainly probably would have climbed uh, the, the ranks here a little bit more uh, if he had had a few more years. Then with my final pick, I look at the goalie class and it gives me a chance to riff on these guys for a little bit. There are five, six, seven, eight guys that have played significant games in the NHL with the fewest being Justin Peters at 83 games but seven other guys with over 150 games played that means there were some pretty good goalies in this group and you did pick the best one statistically but when I bring up the name of Devin Dubnik I want listeners to realize this guy was second in games played in this class with 520 and had a pretty nice win percentage as well career to date 247 and 195 with 52 overtime losses goals against 258 and a save percentage of 915 both a titch uh, worse than than Rinnie but the gap is not too big when you consider Rinnie was a 242 goals against average and on 917 save percentage of course it's the win record win percentage 
where uh, Pecorini has lapped the field. But I'll take the second-best guy in Devin Dumnik, and uh, the people in Minnesota know just how valuable this guy has been to their cause for years, and uh, he is going to suit up as my goalie. Well, one of the fun parts about having the last pick and the fact that we kind of give ourselves an, an extra player um, is we can kind of pick out uh, guys that we just like at the end of the day. Uh, so for me, not too far down the overall scoring list, so it's not an outrageous pick, but I'm going to add a forward in Tyler Kennedy, uh, drafted by my Penguins in the fourth round, uh, 99th overall. Uh, his name is on uh, the Stanley Cup, uh, was with the team for the, the deep run, uh, the losing effort in 2009, uh, and then was on the winning team in, in 2010 with the Penguins. Uh, ended up playing uh, 527 games, 89 goals, 126 uh, assists, and, and really a quality player who overcame what some might have seen as a height disadvantage at just 5'11", uh, and really was a, uh, a quality player for Pittsburgh. And then uh, just to round out the discussion here, there are about four or five other players that were ranked uh, when we talk about top scorers in this class further down the list in their their draft position. Wojcik Wolski is a name that jumps off the page for me. Pra- playing uh, in the West End of Toronto in Brampton uh, as a junior, he was very highly regarded, AJ. I remember that very well. 21st pick overall in the draft. He wound up his career with 267 points in 451 games played. A lot more than that was expected of him when he was drafted and didn't quite work out uh, the way I thought it might. Lori Korpikoski went two picks higher than him, drafted out of Finland. 201 points in 609 games played. Decent long career for him. The highest pick that wasn't uh, selected uh, among the players we talked about so far, according to my numbers, is Rusty Rosislav Olish. Seventh overall by the Florida Panthers. 134 points in 365 games played among the forwards. In terms of the goalies, we didn't talk about Corey Schneider, Anton Kudobin, Al Montoya, Kari Ramo. Thomas Grice is another goalie that was in this class. Probably would be the the third pick in my estimation, maybe between him and Schneider. Among the defensemen, Andre Sequeira is probably the next guy that would have gone in our picks. And Roman Polak, if you're looking for a rough-and-tumble, rugged defenseman type, he would have been my last pick if, if... if not for uh, Tyler Kennedy, AJ, and I know both of us uh, admire the style that he played the game with. Uh, I got a look at him up close in Toronto and really uh, had an affinity for his style of play, uh, heart and soul guy. In any case, any closing thoughts for you as we get ready for next week and your final look at the three, uh, three teams that uh, I think are going to be an interesting discussion? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it'll be fun to, to talk about um, where all these teams land, obviously, uh, the Flyers have, have steadily gotten better and appear to have solved their goaltending issues. So we'll have to see, take a look at, at what other questions they have. And then you have, you know, perennial cap teams in Pittsburgh and Washington, uh, you know, competing for the cup and, and trying to, you know, grab uh, grab titles before their win- respective windows close. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how all those uh, teams shake out. And then happily for us, you call it good fortune or good planning, AJ, but we'll be right in line to start talking about playoff previews and a hopeful resumption of play. We cross our fingers and hope that everybody stays safe in the interim, but uh, it's lining up nicely for us uh, and the podcast episodes to come. So we hope that our listeners uh, have enjoyed this series of uh, salary cap articles. We'll wind them up next week and uh, look forward to, to real games being played in the near future. And that's a fine place to stop this week as we have wind up this episode of podcast 
podcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next episode is tentatively scheduled to take place next Tuesday. Uh, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.